the Whatever Survey Podcast with your host, Adam Robinson. Hey everybody, this is Adam with the Whatever Survey Podcast, broadcasting live from Nashville, Tennessee. Although it's not really live because I'm recording it and then posting it on podcasting, but you get the picture. People say that all the time. So anyway, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. This is episode number three. It's going to be different than the last two. Um, The last two episodes dealt with one particular subject, and today's will not. Today's will cover a variety of topics, uh, you know, including the new Nintendo Switch online service. Now, I do want to still go back and do a whole episode on the Nintendo Switch, but that will happen later. I'm also going to throw in a survey of the Pacific Daydream album, which is by one of my favorite bands, my top, one of my top two favorite bands, Weezer, and uh, really excited to talk about that. And then, let's see, there's a couple other things, including the Kanye West, <laughs> some, some craziness with, with him. I know, believe it or not, Kanye West did something weird. So yeah, just going to talk about all kinds of stuff, so I hope you enjoyed the episode. Feel free to go to my Twitter and follow me. It's at whatever survey. Hoping to build that Twitter up right now. I think I have seven followers, which is, you know, not very many. So I need more. So feel free to go and follow me, interact with me. Let me know what you think about the things I talk about today. And of course, uh, you can find this podcast on a variety of platforms. Tell your friends about it. If you listen on iTunes, Please go and leave a review. I'm not really sure what that does, but it would just be nice to know what you think about it so far. Uh, so without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Thanks so much for listening. I've mentioned in the past that I want to do a full episode on the Nintendo Switch, and I still am going to do that. I am lining up people to talk about that with me, but for now... I want to talk a little bit about some news that just came out today. Today is May the 8th, 2018. And something that I just read about a little while ago is that the virtual console will not be coming to the Nintendo Switch. What I read that went alongside that was a lot of people losing their minds because, oh no, we're not going to get, you know, virtual console. I don't think that's what it means. Uh, First and foremost, I I guess before I start any of that, I'll just do a quick explanation. The virtual console is basically a storefront that's been implemented in the 3DS, the the Wii, actually, the Wii U. I think, I mean, the 2DS obviously has it too. But basically, all it is is there's a library of, of past games from old Nintendo consoles or even... In some cases, some like Sega consoles or Turbo Graphics and stuff like that. Basically, retro games uh, you can pay, you know, a few bucks and download them, and there you go. You can play them on your console, current console. You know, people have been doing this for years on uh, emulators and stuff like that on their computers, but it's nice to actually, uh, you know, have them on the consoles and then also be able to i in my opinion i think it's it's good to support the creators or at this point the license holders but um you know it's an alternative to emulation 
And uh, for me, it's it's my only alternative. I don't really emulate stuff if I if I can get away with it. Actually, that's not even true. I don't emulate anything at this point. I used to. I'm getting off of my subject at hand. <laughs> the, the actual subject is that the Nintendo Switch will not have a virtual console. So people are flipping out because they they wanted the virtual console. They wanted uh, specifically Nintendo 64, more of their games, um, GameCube games are the big thing that people are are uh, clamoring for, which I get it. I'd like to have some GameCube games too, and uh, Wii games as well, and Wii U for that matter, although it seems like the Switch is basically getting all the Wii U games that you could want, um, just remastered and and uh yeah made a little bit nicer and cleaner and to a wider audience cuz no one bought the Wii U anyway i'm still i'm getting off subject no virtual console people are freaking out um i don't think there's really a need to freak out for a couple reasons for one thing uh nintendo has also announced their online service is actually going to come out in september the online service has been talked about for a while. Um, at one point, we thought we were going to get it back in March. That didn't happen. Um, September has been the the point where uh, everyone is, you know, looking forward to that, and and that's supposedly when it's actually going to happen. But alongside that um, uh, online service, which is actually very affordable. It's like $3.99 for a, a month and $20 for a full year. And there's some incremental stuff in between, but uh, I am, I'm really looking forward to it for a couple reasons. For one thing, uh, you can you can play online play. You can have online play with, with that, which I don't really use a ton anyway. I use it for uh, Mario Kart or Splatoon 2. Uh, but in the future, I know there will be games coming out that I need online play for. But you also get access to, it's not the virtual console, but it's 20 NES games, um, original Nintendo games, that are optimized for online play, which I think is pretty interesting and pretty cool. Uh, all the game choices don't really excite me that much, but there's a promise of of more games. Uh, so far, there's only 20 that are being announced. So we'll just wait and see what happens. But anyway, the virtual console itself is not going to happen. It's not going to come out. And I'm okay with that because uh, it looks like a lot of that's going to be tied into the the the... It looks like a lot of that's going to be tied into their online service. So along with those NES t- titles that you're going to get um, with the online play enabled, there will probably be some that come out for um, just the online service too that, that will be you know maybe Super Nintendo or N64 or you know go on down the list. I'm totally fine with that, especially at 20 bucks for a full year. Yeah, it sounds like a steal. And here's the thing. If you're not okay with that, you still have a huge library on the 3DS. And I think, uh, I mean, I don't know that they're going to shut down support for the 3DS, you know, eShop anytime soon. The Wii eShop just closed, I believe, this past year. And that's been around since 2006. So you still have an opportunity to play on a 3DS or a 2DS, which you can get those pretty cheap now. 
and especially if you go the used route. But anyway, I'm curious what everybody thinks. If you have an opinion on this, feel free to uh, send me a tweet. I am at whatever survey, and I'd love to talk about it with you. And maybe I'll read some. If I get some tweets, which my Twitter is 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 terribly, terribly unfollowed. So if anyone uh, will uh, send me a follow, just go on there and, and look me up and follow me and tell me what you think about, about the Nintendo Switch uh, and, and where it's going. Uh, all right, on to the next topic. Another new album release coming out. Another new crazy Kanye. Kanye West, dude, what's up with you? Why are you so, why are you so Kanye? Uh, Kanye West used to put out really, really, really cool, good hip-hop music. Eh, that sounds really condescending. Kanye is still very capable. Kanye still puts out good good music. But my gosh, he is a troll with a budget. This dude put out a song last week, I believe, called Lift Yourself. Lift Yourself starts off sounding a lot like um, basically... Older songs um, of his and older songs in general because it is uh, it, it samples very heavily from a song that I didn't know before, I'll be honest. Uh, a band called Amnesty in 1973, uh, they recorded a song called Liberty. This is that song, basically just Kanye'd up and uh, remixed a bit. He plays it, it has an uplifting literally an uplifting message of lifting yourself up and uh, striving for liberty yada 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 and then Kanye just decides to I mean he's gone he he has evolved into complete full Kanye at this point he he builds up I mean the song goes on for like two and a half minutes and then he he builds up and says you know this next verse, this next verse is going to, you know, these bars are just going to blow you away. I'm paraphrasing. And then he just goes into this. Uh, if you haven't listened to it yet and you don't want it to be spoiled, it's it's not a very long song. So look it up. It's called Lift Yourself by Kanye West. And uh, skip over the next 15 seconds because I'm just going to spoil what he says. In his song, his genius lyrics, his verse goes, Poop diddy scoop, scoop diddy whoop. Whoop de scoop de poop, poop de scoop de scoop de whoop, and so on, so on. And at some point, he just goes poop, poop, and it's so funny, but it's also so dumb, and so Kanye. And it, I'll say it again: I think he's just an internet troll with a budget. The dude is smart; he knows how to stir up controversy. You know this this part's funny, but the slavery comment that he made recently not so funny kind of uh, just a dumb thing to say, and hopefully he doesn't actually believe that. But who knows? Kanye West, Lift Yourself. Not telling you to go out and buy the single, but at least listen to it at least once because it's, it's, it's a good little laugh. If you listen to episode one of the Whatever Survey podcast, you'll know that I am a huge Foo Fighters fan. So I was super pumped this past Friday night. I got to go see the Foo Fighters live here in Nashville at the Bridgestone Arena. And this was my fifth time to see the band play. And I'm telling you, they get better every time. 
if you haven't seen the Foo Fighters and you're even remotely a fan, you should just do yourself a favor and go see them. I'm looking over the set list right now, and it, it was it was fantastic. I I only have a couple gripes, and I'll get to those in a little bit. But the band just puts on a great show. And uh, so the first time that I saw the Foo Fighters was at a an outdoor festival in Memphis, the Beale Street Music Fest, and I was uh, well when you're in a festival you're pretty much in the pit all the time there's really not an alternative so i was in the pit and um that particular night it was super rainy i mean extremely rainy it it had rained all day this was a sunday it was the last day of the festival and the other bands that were supposed to be playing at that time canceled um, there were three stages set up i should paint that picture three stages set up in this big field Two of the bands decided to quit, uh, which you can't blame them because it was torrential downpour of rain. But uh, Foo Fighters, all the fans were still there and we were just waiting. This was the year 2004. And we're waiting and waiting and everybody's chanting and chanting. And a guy comes walking out on the stage, like a roadie, roadie guy. I remember he looked like Jerry Garcia from Grateful Dead. That's what everyone was calling him in the crowd. Was, Here comes Jerry Garcia. Anyway, speed the story along. He came out and said, I will be uh, giving you updates over the next little bit, but the Foo Fighters are coming out. It just may take a little bit. So we're all, we're all just standing in the, in the pouring rain. <laughs> There's mud everywhere. Suffice to say, Foo Fighters came out, played a phenomenal show in the pouring rain. Uh, Dave Grohl mentioned that if he were to get struck by lightning, he would uh, require CPR from everyone in the crowd. It was funny. But they were so good. This was in support of their one-by-one uh, one album. Anyway, fast forward. I've seen them every other time they've come anywhere near me. And uh, they always put on a phenomenal show. Seen a lot of uh, good uh, supporting acts with them as well. This time was the Struts, who unfortunately I, I didn't get to see their entire set. I only saw one song. And then the lead singer came out again and uh, and played with the band. They actually did the uh queen and david bowie under pressure there we go it was very good the guy actually kind of looks like freddie mercury lead singer of the struts but anyway foo fighters put on an incredible show they did uh what did they do 21 songs 21 songs and um believe it or not so every time i've seen them they've always done an encore except the last show um, which was in support of their previous album and they only did, um, I mean, they did a full show, but they said in the very beginning, we're just going to play and we're not going to do an encore, which was fine by me. But this time they did do an encore. 21 songs total. They played pretty much any hit that you would want them to play, with the exception of Big Me. They didn't play Big Me, but everything else they, they played. They played a, a few songs off their new album. Um, I'm looking at setlist.fm, which is a great site. They played four songs exactly off their new album. The rest of the albums were pretty well in the two to three song, uh, you know, range. They did a few covers, and uh, I don't know. They've got a lot of albums, though. They could easily put on a five, six-hour show. <laughs> this one was about three hours, actually. Uh, so the Foo Fighters, whenever they play live, they tend to extend songs a little bit longer than normal, which is fine with me. I like that little jam uh, situation and it's very loose just a phenomenal show it's my favorite one of the last year but I'm biased 
But then last night, which was what the May the ninth, same arena, Bridgestone Arena here in Nashville. My my wife and I went and saw Justin Timberlake, who also put on an incredible show. Now, we didn't have the greatest seats for Justin, so for Foo Fighters, I spent the extra money and we got to sit really close. Um, I mentioned the pit before. Don't do the pit anymore if I can get away with it. Last time I did was a Guar show, and that's a whole different story. But for Foo Fighters, uh, you know, we sat in in a lower section and uh, we had really good seats, and uh, it was just perfect viewpoint. But for Justin Timberlake. I mean, that thing sold out immediately, and we were in the very top of the arena. I mean, lit- there was a wall behind us. That was how, how high up we were. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. But it was also the direct opposite of Foo Fighters in, in a lot of ways, um, it, where the Foo Fighters are a little more free-flowing and kind of, you know, they just go with it and they'll jam out on songs. Justin's set was very structured. He had everything just laid out a very specific way. But you understand why, because he has set changes, and he has, uh, I mean, he had loads of people on this on the stage. He had dancers. He had, um, it was just a spectacle. It was, it was really cool. He had three different types of stages out there. I've never been to a, a pop show really like that, but he, he put on a fantastic show. I, I have to give him credit. And Justin actually did 27 songs. Now, some of those were abbreviated. I actually found that with a lot of his songs, he abbreviated them down to, you know, uh, where a song may be four minutes long, he may have done two minutes of it or something like that. But, you know, he got to fit more in. And plus, you know, you can listen to an album all day, but you don't see all the spectacle behind it. You don't see the dancing. And um, one interesting and kind of cool thing, uh, he's got a song on his new album, Man of the Woods. And that song, uh, it's called Say Something, and it features Chris Stapleton, who is just blowing up this year, last few years, actually. Um, so they played that song together. Chris Stapleton came out and, and joined him on stage, and then they played Tennessee Whiskey, which is Stapleton's big song. And what I find funny about this, when we first moved to Nashville a few years ago, we saw um, Kings of Leon. They played a free show to celebrate new year's i think it was was it 2016 maybe uh new year's day new year's eve and uh, anyway during their set chris stapleton came out and they played tennessee whiskey and i think the song was pretty new at that point um fast forward last year 2017 we went to the pilgrimage festival in franklin tennessee and um justin timberlake was actually one of the headliners there so we saw him play at that place. That was a lot different than his show from last night. But during that set, he also brought out Chris Stapleton, who did Tennessee Whiskey. And then last night, same thing. So uh, my wife and I joked that we've seen Chris Stapleton do his most famous song three different times, completely by accident. So <laughs> kind of interesting. But anyway, live music in Nashville, highly recommend it. The Bridgestone is a great arena for for me, I personally love it for um, for sports. Uh, I go and watch the the Nashville Predators. Big Predators fan. Uh, it's a great place to watch the Preds play because uh, there's not a bad seat in the house when it's a hockey game, at least because the the rink is so big and uh, you you can see from everywhere in the, in the stadium. Um, 
<laughs> I should I should work for the tourist board because I I really do think Nashville's a really cool place. There's a lot going on here. It's a lot of fun. Uh, if you get a chance to come to Nashville, come check it out. Uh, the Bridgestone Arena is right there on the uh, right there on Broadway, where you have all your restaurants and bars and tourist stuff. It, it's a fun place to check out at least once. Um, however, Bridgestone is not my favorite music arena. That would be the Ryman Auditorium, which is historic, and I plan to do a full episode on the Ryman at some point, uh, working that out. But anyway, great place to see some music. If you're ever in town, check it out. I'm a longtime fan of Weezer. From the moment I heard them first, back in 1994 on a Windows 95 demo disc, I was transfixed. But that was 1994, right around 24 years ago, and Weezer is different. That's not a bad thing either, for the most part. Admittedly, at times it's been trendy to be a Weezer fan. At other times it's been slightly embarrassing, and I'm looking at you here, at Ratitude-era Weezer. Pacific Daydream is Weezer's latest album, and it simultaneously takes a step forward and a sort of sideways step as well. I'll explain. First, a short recap of Weezer's last two albums. Everything Will Be Alright in the End was lauded as a return to form for the band back in 2014. It featured crunchy guitars, personal lyrics from Rivers Cuomo, epic guitar solos, basically everything that classic Weezer fans desired. When their follow-up self-titled White Album released in 2016, it continued the sound progression from Everything Will Be Alright in the End while injecting a distinct California vibe name-dropping California interstates, describing beachfront rendezvous, etc. The album still had that Weezer sound in songs like Do You Want to Get High, which could have easily fit on the Pinkerton re-release as a B-side. Thank God for Girls was weird Weezer as <laughs> at its finest. At first it made no sense to me, and I wasn't sure how to feel about this song. Later, after listening multiple times, it still didn't make sense to me. The difference was, now I loved it completely. Weezer has a knack for doing that. Overall, in my opinion, those two albums were great and instant classics. Cue the first single from Pacific Daydream, a song titled Feels Like Summer. I won't lie, when I heard this song for the first time, I told my wife that this would be the point where I quit being quit buying... I won't lie, when I first heard this song, I told my wife that this would be the point where I quit buying new Weezer albums. I was immediately turned off by the late 2010s pop music sound of the song. Gone were the guitars, essentially. Instead, they were replaced by keyboards and effects loops. The melody was fine, and the lyrics were your standard modern Weezer oddities, but that sound, I could not get into it. I just refused to listen anymore. I told my friends that the band had lost it. My brother told me that he loved the song, and I was completely flabbergasted. Fast forward a few months. My wife and I were on a long cross-country road trip to see her family, and we had just resubscribed to Sirius XM for the occasion. As she slept, I switched stations to Alt Nation sometime around 1 a.m. I heard the DJ mention that they were playing a new Weezer track in the next 15 minutes. I decided to just stick around and give it a listen. As much as I wanted to be a curmudgeon, I still loved Weezer and couldn't quite quit them. A couple songs passed and then it was time. 
Happy Hour was the title. I wasn't excited. But then the song started, and maybe it was because I was in that post-midnight daze, but the song felt almost hypnotic. I could visualize what Rivers was talking about. It felt like a dream I was having while trying to stay between the white lines on the highway. If you couldn't tell, I was intrigued. The station repeated the song the next hour. This time, I was aware enough to restart it as soon as it ended, and did so at least four more times. It's official, I thought to myself. I am back in. Fast forward again to Christmas 2017. My family is opening gifts, and I tore open a package that could only be a vinyl record or a calendar. It was Pacific Daydream, Weezer's latest album, looking back at me. I waited until I got home and excitedly played it on my turntable. And the album hooked me. After multiple listens, I began describing it as the logical output from Rivers, digesting years of study of Brian Wilson's melodies and generating an album in 2017. Just a note, I did later read an interview where Rivers more or less said the same thing, which to me is fascinating. As a fan of Weezer's crunchy guitar sound and solos, as well as their signature melodies and hooks, I came away amazingly satisfied, despite the fact that there is far more from the latter rather than the former. It's those melodies and hooks that invoke that Beach Boys feel from the album, particularly on tracks like Weekend Woman and Sweet Mary. In fact, I think that Weekend Woman may be the best modern Weezer song so far. It's nearly a perfect song that I would expect to see as a future single. I'll wrap up this review... I'll wrap up this survey by explaining my statement from the beginning of the review. The album is a step sideways in maintaining that California feel, evidenced again with references to local spots and beaches which, while interesting to me, doesn't seem like something that's easily relatable to the bulk of Weezer's fans. More importantly though, Pacific Daydream is a step forward for the band, as it proves that Weezer does not need to produce another Blue Album or Pinkerton to be a great band. They're doing just fine as they are, and it's a lot of fun tagging along through their evolution.